Good morning, everybody. Today we'll be learning about Hashem Daf Gimel in Maseches Shkolin. Uh, I heard something from Simon Wolf uh, yesterday that the reason why, one of the reasons why the Yerushalmi uh, reads with so many stops and starts um, relative to the Bible is the Bible simply was edited more, was edited uh, more thoroughly. And so all of those things, you know, they have these books about when you're first learning how to learn Gemara, what does Ika de Amri mean? What does Tanan mean? Tanya Namahachi. You know, these are transitional words that tell you, are we asking a question? Are we quoting a Brisa? Are we quoting a Mishnah? Um, well, those transitional words are few and far between. Those were added later, according to Simon Wolf, to the Talmud Bavli in aiding us in organizing it and in reading it. So, but we, like we said, we have Rav Linowitz, Zichron Levracha, who was the chief editor of so much of the art school Gemaras, as well as the Yerushalmi. And so in the Shkolem, when we go through with the art school, it's easier for us to, to stay the course. Be that as it may, we're 14 lines up from the bottom of Bays on the Bays, and we were talking about walled cities. Don't, uh, let's remember, we were talking about the different things that happen on Rosh Chodesh Adar, and then on the 15th of Adar, uh, in anticipation of the great regal of Pesach. And in that conversation, we were talking about the walled cities. What do we do on the 15th of Adar? We read the Megillah B'Krochim. And then we had an interesting question. Let's say you had a person who is a Ben Krochim, uh, a person who is supposed to be uh, in a walled city, right, in Ben Yerushalayim, and therefore he is supposed to hear Megillah on a day that we call Shushan Purim, and yet he heard Megillah on the day that we call Purim, on Yodalit Adar. The question is, would he have to then repeat as a Yotze Megillah, because that's like the Iker, Shehuz Man Kriyasa, as the Gemara said. The 14th is really the day that we all, that we all read it. Okay, so the Gemara on 14 lines up says, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yacha, Havun Yosvin. Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Yacha were contemplating this question. So I'm a Rabbi Yosef, the Rabbi Yacha, Lo Mistarber Lishavar Ela so you see again, uh, reading, you could use some editing here. What this means is as follows. That in other words, of course, once it's, let's say, you know, Erev Pesach and you're contemplating these questions, now it's after the 15th, there's, there's nothing to do anymore. So it would be no Kiddush to say at that point, listen, what, you're, you're Ben Yerushalayim and you heard it on the 14th? It would be no Kiddush at that point to say, uh, avar, that say, to say that, oh, you should, not, you should hear it on the 15th. You have no, or you shouldn't hear it on the 15th, 15th. Is that, we're already way past that. That's a shavar. The shavar wouldn't make any sense. El lahaba. Now lahaba, that would be quite the question. Lahaba would be the following scenario. In other words, that's where you have the real. That's where the rubber meets the road. When you're talking about, you're sitting at the fifteenth, and you're a person who's a Yerushalmi, and you already heard Megillah yesterday. So right, you went to Beit Shemesh for Purim Suda, and you heard the Megillah and did everything. The real test of whether you you would need to hear Megillah again would be whether now it's the fifteenth. Do we make you read the Megillah again? If it's true that you already outside, then even on the fifteenth we would say, yeah, you don't have to go to Shul to hear the Megillah again. Uh, you are Yotzei. That is that 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 would be the real test of whether you're Yotzei with the reading of the fourteenth. Okay, so that was right. Uh, what Rabbi Yosef says, Rabbi Achav says, um, but then the Hatani. But we learn in the Bryce of the following. In a place where they learned that where, where they had the men of actually saying the Megillah on the 14th and the 15th because of the suffix of whether it was considered ir mukafas choma in the days of Yeshua ben Nun, then yamim. So we see there that the Bryce says that in the case of suffix, then you actually read it on the 14th and the 15th. Now that is in fact, right, that should teach you that that's against this idea that Rabbi Chelba pointed out. Because why? Because if it was true that even a person who lives in a walled city doesn't have to repeat Megillah on the 15th once he's read it on the 14th. So then even if you have a case of Suffolk, right, you would only read it on the 14th. Because even if you were a Ben, right, walled city, you would have already read it on the 14th, according to Rabbi Chalbo. And regardless, you wouldn't have to read it on the 15th. It must be that this is against, this race is against the din of Rabbi Chalbo and actually holds that in a case where you read it on the 14th, but you were in fact a Yerushalmi, you would still have to read it on the 15th again. To that, Rabbi replied, no, there's a different, uh, as follows. Amar lay, so Rabbi to that said to Rabbi Yosa, uf, ana, I also agree, um, 
with Rabbi Chalbo that you don't have to read it once you read it on the 14th, but there's a re- different reason for, for the Brisa. And that's how he left it. He didn't explain why, but Rabbi Mana now comes to the rescue and explains why the Brisa is not a threat to this opinion of Rabbi Chalbo that you don't have to read them together as follows. Amar Rabbi Mana, the Yos, there's the word again, The Rabbi Acha was in fact correct. There's no contradiction between Chalbo and the Brisa as follows. Because right? Because if the person who... Um, was in the walled city, right? The Yerushalmi read the Megillah on the 14th with the intention, with the intention of being Yotze, right? The Lokar Bachamishasar. And then he, and then as a consequence, he did not read it on the 15th. Shema Shomimlo. You would say the following, that people might hear that this Yerushalmi only read on the 14th. And, Aha. In other words, Rubimana is saying the following. That it might be true that Mi'ikir Hadin, we hold like Rabbi Chalbao, that you're Yotze, even if you're Yerushalmi, or from other, from some other walled city from the day of Yerushim and Nun, you might hold, it might be true that we hold like Rabbi Chalbao, that if you read the Megillah on the 14th, you don't have to read it again. That might be true. However, even if that is true, Mi'ikir Hadin, it's a bad look. We will ask him to read it again, simply to preserve, right, the idea that we don't want to do away with the halacha of reading on the 15th. And for the sake of uniformity, therefore, and the preservation of the idea of the Bnei HaKrach, the Walt City residents, reading on the 15th, we ask in the Brisa as a blanket rule that anybody who is a Yerushalmi should always lay on the 15th to preserve that idea of reading on the 15th in the Walt City. So, right, so you have on, on Purim all the yeshiva guys that are in Yerushalayim, right, they'll come to Beit Shemesh for, so for, they love to come to Beit Shemesh because, don't forget, the only thing better than one day of Purim is two days of Purim. So they'll come to Beit Shemesh for the Suda happily. They'll hear Megillah and everything. So if, like, all of these thousands of yeshiva guys were now Yotze, right, they were Pater, like Rabbi Chalbo says. So then can you imagine the next day, like, half of Yerushalayim isn't, actually laning Megillah because they already heard it somewhere else. It messes with the whole notion of the Shushan Purim being observed in Yerushalayim. And so it's for that reason that the Bible says, you know what, you're still going to be Chayim. And we see that it works because they take the Purim Yerushalayim seriously. And that actually, we see that in real life. Okay. Okay, so now, let's learn some exceptions to the halachas of what we have in other Aleph and other Beis. Tani, we learned the Bryce. Rishim Gamliel Omer, mitzvahs and hagas ba'adar sheini, enon hagas barisha chutz mehas ba'adatainis, shein shavon b'zeh b'zeh. That those mitzvahs which we postpone to other sheini, you don't even have to do it in other Rishon, right? So we already mentioned some of those mitzvahs, right? A lot of those mitzvahs, like for example, we were mentioning uh, Megillah, right, just now. So Megillah, for example, is something where you want to have a juxtaposition. You want to have the Geula of Purim as closely mentioned to the Geula of Mitzrayim as we are in between the Geula of Purim and Mitzrayim as we said here today. And so that's why you would have it on other bays. It would, be, it would therefore uh, not make uh, any sense to do it on other Rishon uh, necessarily as well. So we have those on other bays, but we don't have it on other Rishon. But something like Hesped uh, Vitainus, so it happens to be that on the 14th, 15th of other Rishon, you also don't say Tachnan, right? Okay. So the Gemara, first of all, interjects. Rabbi, Rabbi, ba, Rabbi Yirmiya. Okay, we're going to. We're gonna, we're gonna go through a little bit, trying to figure out who's saying this. Rabbi Bar Rabbi Yirmiyah B'Shem Rabbi Rav Rabbi Simon B'Shem Rabbi Shimon Levi Halachah K'Rav Shimon Gamliel The Halachah K'Rav Shimon Gamliel That in fact that which we do on the second other we don't do on the first. And Rav Huna Rabbi Did Siporin Amar Hini Rabbi Chanina Did Siporin Kehadad Rabbi Shimon Gamliel That too Rav Chanina in Sipori also did like Shimon Gamliel. To which the Gemara actually makes an inference. Lo Amar Ela Hinig Aval Halachah Lo That this is actually Machlokes that that in name of Rabbi Simon they were in the name of Rabbi Shimon Levi they were saying that's a halacha. But Rabuna was like, in fact saying that that's not the halacha, that was just a nihug, okay? Um, to which the Brisa then continues as follows. That here is where you have similarities. Now we're going to learn a very interesting question. Which is the real, will the real other please stand up? Which do you think is real other? The, and which is the additional other? Other Rishon or other Shani? So you say, wait a minute. Uh, I actually got tripped up on this, believe it or not. Because my father, all of a shalom, his yurtzeit is on Purim, but the year that he passed away was a Shana Mubaris. So he passed away on other bays. Now, Purim, as we famously know, is on other bays. 
But that's only because of the aforementioned reason that I mentioned that you wanted to have it close to Pesach. It's, in fact, we end up saying that the other Rishon is the real other. And other base is the add-on. It's only because of the fact that we wanted to have close to Pesach that we actually cel- uh, right, celebrate Purim on other bays. So what happened was, because of my, my, um, my grandmother, Aleah Shalom, on the other hand, her yard site is the same yard site as Moshe Rabbeinu, which is where this actual halacha really, uh, it's one of the main nafkaminas of this question, of which is the real other. Because Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site is Zayin Adar, as you might recall, and my grandmother's yard site is also Zayin Adar. So Zayin Adar, but when she passed away, that was like on a regular one month other. So one other year. So the question then is, on a Shonam Uberis, which do you celebrate or commemorate Moshe Rabbeinu and my grandmother's yard site? On Zayin Adar of other Aleph or other Beis, which is the real other? So my mother asked me that, and I said, well, let me see, Purim is on other bays, and, and Abba's yard site is, uh, my father's yard site is on other bays, so it must be that the yard site is on other bays, it must be the other bays is the real other. But that was incorrect. It's the other Aleph is the more prevalent Minog. The other Aleph is the real other for like a yard site, for somebody who was born, uh, uh, or who was commemorating whose yard site, let's say, is on a year that was not Mubaris. So that's the question here. The Inan Shtaros, that's another, right? That would be another, um, Nafkamina. Like if you let, if you just write other, but it was a Shonam Mubaris. So are we to believe, are we to understand that that was other Aleph or other base? All you did was write other. So you could say, well, if the real other is other base, then you'll write other Aleph to indicate that it was other Aleph. And then Stam other means other base. And conversely, if the real other is other Aleph, so then you'd have to write other. If it was, you don't have to write other Aleph. You just write other. And if it was happened on the second other, you'd write other base. That's what the Gemara is going to say now. Leading Sharas, Kosvin, other Rishon, the other Shani Stam. That would be true, right? If the, Second other is the real other. And Rabbi Yudomer, the opposite. That other Rishon, Stam, that's just other. And other Shani, Tin Yan. Other Shani is where you write the second other. That is, as we arrive in Gimel Menalef, that is the opinion of Yudah. Fine. Okay. Two dots, top of Gimel Menalef. So you prepare every year, you prepare the city of Yerushalayim as if for the Olympics in anticipation of the coming of the, right, uh, of the coming of the Olim, of the Oli Regal. So Gemara says, at the end of that statement, it says, Eilat Tzarchei Rabin. So the question is, what's the Tzarchei Rabin? That is an enigmatic statement. It says, Rosin called Tzarchei Rabin. What are the Tzarchei Rabin? So, in the context of the Mishnah and Moed Katan, we have certain things that you can do on Chol Moed. Moed Katan is about Chol Moed. Maybe we learn it soon. So now, Chol Moed, you can't just do any old Malacha, right? You have to do certain things, but you can do certain things on a Tzarchei Rabin. So if it's classified as Tzarchei Rabin, then you're allowed to do it on Chol Moed. So we have, in fact, a list of things in Chol Moed for Tzarchei Rabin, and we could use that list to assume that these are all the things that they did in preparation for the Aliyah Regal. So, says the Mishnah might cut on Eilat Tzarchei Rabin, done in Dine Mamanos, so you could try monetary cases in case, right, those that are left over, Dine Fashas, and capital cases. So again, you don't say, oh, because it's Chol Moed, that we're not going to do it because it's a Tzarek Rabbim to do. And similarly, you're going to try to get these out of the way before Yantiv. Dine Makos, if somebody needs Makos, if Odin Arachin Becharam Bekdeshos, right, you take care of all of these legal matters. If somebody made a harem on somebody, right, somebody evaluated somebody, or somebody made, uh, was Makdish something, Mashkin Sasota, right, so we have, uh, Rahman al uh, these scenarios of a harem or a sota that needs to drink the Mesota, um, Besorfin Esapara, uh, Paraduma was not often found historically, but it was uh, on, on a few occasions. And so when it was found, they would do the ceremony in order to, right, burn it and create, right, the Paraduma, the very potent Paraduma powder. So these things were things that you had to take care of, right? So we took care of business in anticipation of Yantiv, and it was considered a Tzarek Rabin. Orphan Egla Arufa, the famous ceremony of the Egla Arufa that is done when you find the corpse between two cities. Berotzin Ebed Ivri. Uh, that is, that can be done in Cholomoyed, and it's also something that we do. Uh, and before Yantav, you actually can do the, right, the Avedivri is supposed to want to go free, but if he in fact chooses to stay after the sixth year of servitude, then we, as the Gemara says, as the Torah says, rather, we bore a hole in his ear, Umitarin is in the Torah, 
right, that you could do the purification of Mitzara, Umafarikin, Saminan, Malagabi, Amaim. Now, this is interesting. Now, the Rotson of every Mitzara and it's interesting that those are indicated as Tzarchei Rabim, right? I guess certainly it, it enables either the Hevet to continue working uh, as he was and interact as he was with, with the public or with the family, at least, that he was with, or the Mitzara also with regards to how he interacts with the public, but the Kol Tzarchei Rabim is, in fact, notable. Whereas this next thing is certainly a Tzarchei Rabim. Mefarikin, Saminan, Malagabi, Amaim, Be'en Machzirin, Oto. Uh, again, Gersau's different um, explanation of what this means, but the most partial explanation of what this means is that simply that you would have cisterns of water that would collect rainwater all year long, and then it would be locked for opening in the summertime when there was no rain whatsoever anymore, and so this was a good time of year to open it up. Now, Cholamoid, it was that's referring to Cholamoid Pesach, uh, and that's going to be an interesting question. Uh, why would we mention it now? Because after all, um, Anyway, that, that's a Tzorchei Rabin. But the question is, well, if you're doing it during, if, if it's a Tzorchei Rabin that you're doing, and this is going to be the next question also, you'll see with regards to marking off the graves, if it's something that, if this is included in the list, right, implied in the list of what you do on the 15th of Adar, so then why are we mentioning that you could do it in Chol So the, the simplest explanation is you didn't do it in Adar, or you did it in Adar and you closed it again. The, right, but the point is, if, or, or let's say you open some of them, but you didn't open others, right? It's not just one cistern. There's many cisterns. So some cisterns you open on 15th of Adar, and you should have opened them, and maybe you didn't need to open all of them, right? So you open some of them in anticipation of the Aliyah Regal, and then during Cholomar itself, you could open the rest of them, something like that. The point is, you're opening cisterns uh, in order to allow people to have drinking water uh, once they've made Aliyah Regal. Fine. So now, we learned in that mission of Moed Katan, something that, again, contradicts our, uh, our mission in a similar way. Taman Hatanin and Mashkin Beis HaShlachan and Kvaros. You can water irrigate fields in Cholamoid, and you can mark the graves. So that's the same question that we just mentioned with regards to the cisterns. You can ask with regards to the graves as well. The Gemara asks, Didn't we already mark off these graves? Um, in other words, why would the Mishnah Malkatan say that you can mark off the graves on Cholamoid Pesach when you already marked said graves off on the 15th of Adar? So to that, the Gemara explains Vitiftor. Explain it as follows. You see these languages that we don't see in the Babli. Yeah, you marked off the graves on the 15th of Adar, but the scenario here would be See, the question is better with graves than it is with cisterns, because as I mentioned, in theory, if, this, if we said shot correctly in cisterns, that is in fact one of the ways the shot is, is viewed, so then you can say you open some of them and not all of them. But when you're talking about marking off the graves, so then presumably you have to mark off all of the graves, right? That you don't do piecemeal, uh, partial marking, so that you, that's a real kasha. You should have marked off all of them. So the answer is that you did mark off all of them, but there was a deluge of rain that washed away the markings, and so once that happens, that becomes a tzorche rabim to mark off again on chol hamoed pesach. Good. Okay. Now, we had mentioned also uh, so that is mentioned again in our Mishnah and in Moed Katan that you have to go out and inspect the fields for Kilain as we mentioned yesterday so the Mishnah look for there again how could it be that we have to do this on the 15th if you have to do it on the 15th you have to do it for everyone and therefore why do you still have to do it on the Pesach so the Mishnah answer is it was simply one of those years where the year was late and you, can't, you couldn't see any of the vegetation and therefore you have to go out and when you went out on the 15th of Adar, there was nothing doing, so you have to go out again, and it's a Torah Chlabim, therefore even on the Cholomite Pesach, you have to go and check, as we mentioned yesterday, to point out where there is Kilayim. Fine. So now, having discussed all that, the Gemara is going to ask a fundamental question uh, regarding the Tzion of Kvaros. Where do you know that you have to have a headstone, so to speak? A Tzion, really a marking to show you. Now, why would you mark where the Kever is? So the original reason is to show you that there's Tumah underneath there, so that people can become, can be careful. And obviously, we're not even just talking about Kohanim, right? The idea of Tumah is talking about people who didn't want to become Tumah. You're talking about Ole Regal now, right? Ole Regal wanted to, uh, they're going to go to the mikvah uh, at some point, and they're going to want to be Tahar. But with the Kohanim, it's really an issue, because they can't eat the Truma, but Tumah, that's going to be an Isra So there, there, there's an even greater issue. And so, let's see. Minayin, let's see. How do you know that you have to mark off graves? So you can say, well, it's rational. The Gemara says, and here's uh, 
where you really can't tell who's saying this. So we'll just read it through. And Andrew, you'll, fi- you'll, you'll figure out who, who you think said it. Rav Brechia, Rabbi Yaakov, Bar Bas Yaakov, B'Shem Rabbi Chunya, Divras Chavarin. Divras Chavarin is a place. Bras Chavarin. Okay, that, that's one possibility who said it. Rabbi Yosa, Amalei, B'Shem Rabbi Yaakov, Baracha, B'Shem Rabbi Chunya, Divras Chavarin. And Rav Chizkiah, Rabbi Uziel, Bered, Rav Chunya, Deves Chavron. B'Shem Rabbi Chunya, Deves Chavron. Okay, so they all said that it's from the Pasuk of Mitzorah. So according to the R scroll, it's all of them uh, said, pointed towards the same source, which is, it says in the Pasuk, by Mitzorah, V'tamei, Tamei, Yikra. That you call out, Yutamei, Yutamei, ah, why, why are you saying, why we, we have the, right, we have the Mitzorah, why are we saying here, he's, we got a Tamei one, we got a Tamei one, why? Anytime you have a Tumah source, you should publicize it, right? You should call it out. In order, prosh means, right, like prushim, keep away, right, in order to warn people to keep their distance. And so, just like with a Mitzorah, you want the Mitzorah to announce his Tumah so that people can keep their distance. So anytime there's a source of Tumah, like a Tumah's mace that's under the ground, you should make it soon in order to uh, warn other people to keep their distance. Okay. So to that, Rabbi Labashem, Rabbi Shemuel, Bar Nachman has a different source. And his source is, Well, that's a, that, that, uh, okay, um, is in Yechezkel, and that Pasuk has the nice feature of having the word Zion there. That when people pass the land and they see bones of a human being, so then they should make it Zion there. So that's a real, right, that, that's a real beferish allusion to the fact of, of Kvaros. Okay, so to, on that, the Gemara expands the Pasuk Etzem, right, it says if you find the bone of a person, that's, it says Etzem Odom. That's the word in the Pasuk in Yechezkel. So Etzem, Nikantra From there that you learn that you don't just have to see, right, a, an entire corpse, uh, but even if you see bones, and Odom, Nikantra there we see that if you see a spinal column and a skull of a corpse, that you also make it soon. Why you need to learn that when you know it, when you have to make a marker for the bones, is a different question. It's a very morbid question that, um, you know, people like, um, you know, the, the, the organizations that come, you know, to tragedies and, and you don't have intact corpses have to deal with, you know, what do you bury, what do you not bury? Um, we will see soon that the halacha for just uh, a flesh is different than it is for bone because flesh decomposes and therefore the tumor goes away. We're going to see that shortly. Anyway, uvana, right? It says, uvana, it's lotzion. Uvana, what is uvana? Mikancha mitzayinan, mitzayinan agabe even kavua. You can make a marker on top of an attached stone. In other words, once you have a stone, then what you really want to do is not just leave it as a loose, loose stone, but you have to pour, you know, some sort of, what they, in those days they used lime, you sort of mark it in a way that it's kind of cemented in place and clear that it's embedded there as a grave site. Okay. Now, why do you have to do that? So, says the Gemara, because if you, all you do is you make the limestone um, and, and, you know, do the engraving and make the grave loose, so that, that can be moved around and then it's going to be what? A rolling stone. And, the, and then whenever you have um, that rolling stone, you never know where the tumor was. So instead of putting it on such uh, movable stones, it really should be affixed and not actually, right? Because otherwise it really makes the whole, pro- the whole issue much more complicated. So good to have these, these grave sites um, affixed as best as possible. Okay. And then, just to finish up the last two words of the Pasuk, etzlo means lamakam ta'ara, that you have the marker should be made not on top of the grave, but next to it, I'll explain in a second, and tzion marker. From there we know that all the parts that are mentioned, right, whether it's uh, all the aspects of the Pasuk, right? Uh, the etzim, the adam, and all those things require etzim. Now, etzlo, uh, we're going to see now in the Gemara what this means. They used to do it such that if, let's say you had uh, a corpse, so they would put two stones, right? The corpse has a certain length to it, so you want to kind of indicate where it is. So we're used to something like the size of a, that looks like a coffin, so to speak, right? But in those days, instead of having a full coffin, they would have a, uh, a stone on the, at the feet, let's say, and a stone at the head, right? So 
where the stones themselves weren't on top of where the person was buried, but you know that in between the stones, that's where the corpse is. That was the way that Tzion worked, right? Because if all you had was one stone, right? So you're envisioning possibly like a, like a coffin-type stone, which we've seen in, in, in some cemeteries. But here, it's just like an actual stone. So you need a stone at the head and a stone at the foot to indicate where the corpse is. That's what it means when it says, right, it's low, right next to it. That's how you know. And that impacts the halacha, because when you see a stone, so then maybe on top of the stone itself, it shouldn't be tummy, right? When you talk about mahil and ohel and all the things that we've discussed in the past with regards to how you can become tummy in a cemetery, so maybe over the stones themselves, it shouldn't be, because they are, they are on the outskirts. They are at slow, right? But between the stones is where you have the tumma. Okay, so to that, we have a related brace as follows. Tane umata evan achas mitsuyenes, right? So to that end, normally, now that you understand how they used to usually do it, so normally you would have two stones, but what if you found only one stone? So now you don't know. Like, is this a stone that was intended to be at the outskirts of the tame and it would convey tuma and you can't be mile over it? Or is it one of what was supposed to be two stones and therefore it's not tame? So that's what the brace means. It says, afa pisha ain mekaimim kain, right? Even though typically we don't, right, we don't usually put a stone right on top of Tumba, but rather we put an Eslo, right? And so he says, Amahil Alea Tame. Nevertheless, when you see it, so again, if you see it as two stones, you're, as we're going to see, so then you don't have to, then you're not going to be ma- Tame if you're mile over the stones themselves, only if you're Mahil in between them. But if you see only one, then you don't really know what happened. Like maybe the person only had one stone and he put it right on top, as close as he could, right on top of the Tumba. And therefore, when you see only one stone, the Lach is different. You have to assume that it's Tame. Right, because you have to say, "Ani omer meis hayal nosin tachtea." Maybe there was a corpse directly underneath it. However, hayushtayim, if there were two stones, a mile alayim tar. Then, if you mile over the actual stones, you're going to be tar because that shows that's the more typical way that you would find it, and that shows that those are the, in fact, the outskirts, right? It's right, that's right on the on the sides of where the corpse is. Uveinehen tame, and then you know that on top of the stones themselves, you're tar. But between the stones, that's where the mace is, and that's where the tum is going to be. However, says the in hayacharish meinatayim, if you see clear evidence that these two stones aren't really two markers that indicate uh, the two edges of a corpse, but rather they're two stones that are separate from each other. How do you know? Because you have something like somebody was plowing in between, right? It was always meant to be two separate stones. Then then you treat the two stones not as two, so to speak, bookends of one kever, but rather two separate stones, and they nehem tar, and therefore between them is going to be tar, and al-gabeim tame, and just like it would be with a single stone, you now would have, you would treat these two stones as two single stones, and on top of them would be tame. Interesting. Okay, now back to, now to the idea of the flesh, as we mentioned. So we have a Tana that teaches you that you don't make a stone over flesh, because again, the flesh decomposes. And because the flesh decomposes, so then once the flesh goes away, you're not going to have any, any Tumah there. As the Gemara says, right? Um, that's going to decompose, and then you're not going to have any need for the Tzion. Now, why wouldn't it be better safe than sorry? Uh, just take the flesh. You don't know exactly what it's going to decompose. So just put a stone over it, and then nobody has to worry. Until it decomposes, you'll at least know that there's no issue. Well, because as we've mentioned in the past, every chumrah by tuma is actually a kula. Because what happens is, if you become tummy, you have to burn, uh, right, kachim. Any kachim that are accidentally matame has to be burned. Now, burning kachim, and we learned this in Pesachim, if you, as you might recall, the whole idea of burning, uh, oh my gosh, calendrical coincidence, right? Why? Because we asked... That was like one of the first questions we asked him, Shachim, when you do the Bir Chametz together with, um, when you do the Bir Chametz together, was that, was that him, Shachim? That was, uh, anyway, the, the amazing sugya of, um, of uh, Hanina Skana Kohanim, wasn't it? That was the question of Hanina Skana Kohanim, where he said, can you burn truma with the, with the Chametz? Remember that? Uh, so it's, this is actual calendrical co- coincidence of what? Of Bir Chametz, which is upcoming in only a few days. Woo, unbelievable. Anyway, so you're doing the Bir Chametz, fine. Now, the question there was, can you burn truma? 
Well, burning truma, uh, so that was the question there. But here we're talking about burning kachim. Burning kachim is an iser. Now, allowed to just burn kachim because it's holy, right? You're not supposed to just, you're supposed to dispose of it in a, in a more, right, respectful manner. So, however, if you knew, you know that it becomes tame, then it's an imperative to burn kachim. So there you see the dynamic where a chomer is a kula. So if you take extra precaution, you call everything tame, then you end up burning kachim. That's the issue. So for that reason, they don't want you to mark over a flesh because eventually that's not going to make you tame. And when you bring kachim there, you're not going to need to burn it. Wow. The Gemara, however, says, In other words, you're going to ask the following. If it turns out, right, that it was in fact tummy, and there was a, uh, that, that flesh there, so then certainly if, if that turned out to be the case, then you would have to burn the kachim. So why wouldn't it just be better to be safe than sorry? Why wouldn't it just be better to actually mark where the flesh was? So Amalei, so Ramana explained to him, to Rav Yusta, Wow, it's better that a person who passes by will be ruined by the fact that he got tame, um temporarily, since this is in fact only temporary, since the flesh is going to decompose, than to have it seen there forever, and then after it decomposes, after let's say, I don't know, a month, two months, and then for the for the rest of time, so long as the tzion is there, they're going to think that it's tummy. So we're playing the long game. We don't want to see him there because we know that long term, this is not going to be a tummy place. And so we're just playing the, it's just simple math. We're playing the odds. In other words, for the short term, it's going to in fact be tummy and that's going to be a problem. But for the long term, it won't be tummy, so it's better off to just play the long game. The Rishonim ask a question. Wait a minute. To eat the kachim betuma is in fact an iser kares. It's not like the iser of, of, um, right, of burning kachim. So isn't it the, Still better to not become tummy, to be more careful. So they have uh, various answers given. One of them that makes a lot of sense is if you're burying flesh, so whatever, anytime you have a burial, it's clear that you've buried there. So the amount of time that it takes to forget that you've buried some, something there is probably uh, at least the amount of time that would t- you're somewhere beyond the amount of time that it would take to, for the flesh to decompose. So it's not just like you're going to show up, you know, right, three years later where there's no evidence that anything's been buried there and all of a sudden you're going to become tummy. By the time the evidence washes away that something's been buried there, it's probably most likely to decompose already at that point. So that's an interesting question with regards to that. Okay. So, second halacha, second mission in the middle of the Gimel Aleph. I'm Rabbi Yehuda. This is about the kilayim. So, in the beginning, they used to uproot the kilayim, as we said. And, right, so we said already in the first mission that they used to look at the kilayim to see if, in fact, the farmers planted kilayim. So, they used to send out bezdin, like they used to actually, right, uh, exhaust their resources and send out people to go and unroot all the kilayim that they would see. Now, Misharabu Rove Avera, that people thought that was awesome. They would just, like, not even care about planting kilayim because they had people in bezdin, right, uprooting it for them. So once they saw that people didn't care, so instead of just ripping it up and leaving it in the fields, they would actually throw it down to the roads so that they would lose. The Gemara is going to explain uh, the progression here. Uh, so they would lose the actual value. And, and then finally, his uh, ultimately in the end, Chachamim made the Takana that they would just declare the entire field hefker. How, how so? What, what went on here? So the Gemara explains. I'm going this is a price. I'm reviewing the Bishon Yokum Mishlichlim's name. So again, Bezim would go out, they would expend resources and manpower, and people would go out and they would find Kilaim, they would inspect all the fields, and then they would like rip out the fields. So the owners of the fields that were the Avaryanim, right? They were planting Kilaim with impunity and they didn't even care. And now they were happy. Why? First of all, you're weeding your, your land. That's beautiful. Thank you guys for doing that. And also, they were ripping out the kilaim, they were throwing it on the ground, as the Mepharshim explained, the animals were eating it. So they were getting both the benefit of getting rid of the kilaim and weeding the land and feeding their animals. So it's like win, win, win. So it's like, it's almost like, let's make the kilaim on purpose so that we can get these dudes from the Bezdin to do our work for us. Okay, so Shemishirabu Ovevera. So that only encouraged the people to do the Avera of kilaim. So that was actually backfired, so they had to modify the, So what they do, how you mashlichim al So then instead of throwing it on the land for the animals, they would throw it on, on into the street where it would be trampled and, and produce would be lost. But Afal Pekin, it was still good. So you mentioned so the same because they weeded out their fields. So that was good. So then they said, okay, these people, 
they, 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 there's only one way to stop them from putting the kilayim. They actually declared the Sada Hefker if they found kilayim. Now that's a really big knas. That's when they got serious. Now, in order for them to do that, you have to hold of the idea of Hefker, Bezdin, Hefker. In other words, this only works if you actually hold that Bezdin has the authority to take someone's personal property and declare it Hefker for the world. That's fascinating. Says the, so to that end, now we say, the Gemara asks me, nine Hefker, Bezdin, Hefker, right? Since this implies that the Bezdin has the authority to make someone's um, property Hefker, how do we know that that's true? There's a Pasuk in Ezra. Ezra was trying to exhort the people to come to Israel. He was trying to stimulate an Aliyah and the building of the second base of Mikdash. And he thus made a Takana. If you don't come, I'm going to put a Cherim on all your stuff. I'm going to take your stuff. Wow. So So then you have a separate question. When somebody makes, when Bezin makes all of your property have care, so then do you still have to make, um, take Meiser off it, on it? No. In other words, it's not considered yours anymore. Therefore, if it's not yours anymore, why should you have to bring Meiser on it? So it shows that the Hefker Bezin is not only right, some sort of legal uh, reality, but it's also a halachic reality, where it's not yours anymore to the extent that you no longer have to bring Meiser. So that Gemara uh, explains, this is the source. He said, learn it from the following verse. Has to do with the following. Don't forget when you make a Uber yard, right, when you add an extra month, so you change certain things. So for example, in Rabbanus Hashana, uh, says the Brisa, lo bishviz, lo right? Like, let's say you have a Shemitah year, as we have this coming year. So if you add another month to the Shemitah year, you're really changing everyone's halachic reality, right, for an extra month. In other words, the ramifications are not only, right, on, like, Yantiv and these two others that we've been discussing until now, but there's, there's real agricultural ramifications, ramifications of, 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 uh, halachas del raisa, such as Shemitah. So that's a great authority indeed to, to, to add to that year. So that, for that reason, they don't have that kind of authority, according to the Brisa. Also, the year following Shviz, We'll explain the reason momentarily. The Emir Brua, but if you did in fact make this, uh, did that, Harezuma Uberis, that it actually works. That if, if the Bezdin decides to make it a that it is an Uber Yar, it actually works, which shows great authority on behalf of the Bezdin. Okay. So to that, Rabbi Yonasan says as follows. So first of all, certainly you're going to say that if you're going to add this month and it's Mu'ubar, then obviously you're Pater from Meiser. Don't forget on Shavis, you're Pater from Meiser, right? Everything's Hefker. So therefore, you're Pater from Meiser, and certainly that would be the case. So you see from that, right, that Bez has so much authority that even if the ramification is that you're Pater from Meiser, it's still, right, you, you evoke the Bez in Hefker, Bez in Hefker, and that works. Now, uh, just getting down to details, the Gemara first points out, what's going on here? Nicha Shavis, I can understand that Shavis has this discussion, whether you can add or not. Moti Shavis Mai, what's the issue of adding on to the year after Shavis? So Amar Rabbi Avun, he says, because the issue with Shavis is as follows, that, right, Chadash is a big issue, right, you're not supposed to, right, until you bring the Karban Omer, uh, also a calendrical coincidence, right, on the first day when you bring the Karban Omer, uh, then you're not supposed to uh, partake of any of the new grain, Right, the sixteenth of Nisan that Korban is brought, and so that's something that's still uh, done. Bismanazeh, Yashan versus Chadash, right? The Briskers feel it's 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 a daraisa, and many people are not bid on Yashan. However, right, when you have add an extra year, all the Yashan is depleted much quicker. Well, I wouldn't say quicker, but I'd say you, you run out of it, right? First of all, it's a Shemitah year. That's the point. So Shemitah year, you're already relying not on your agriculture; you're relying on what's left. And on top of that, you're going to add a second. You're going to add a second month. So now you're really behind the eight ball from the previous year. So you have real issues with Yashem uh, when you add on Motzei Shvius. Okay, that's the issue. So the Gemara says now. When you said that you don't add to the year Shavias, you're saying that's before Rebbe allowed people to bring what we call Yavul Nachri, right? In other words, once Rebbe said you could bring greens from outside of Israel to eat in Israel, which in itself was a heter, right? Because it's an amazing halacha that neither a banan, any soil outside of Eretz Israel is in fact Tameh. And therefore, you shouldn't be brought into we don't hold like this now, obviously, because the you know the Haredim in Israel eat Yivul Nachri and Shvius. They eat uh, from, from from outside land. But 
be that as it may, there, that was a chiddush that your Rebbe had to allow, right, outside fruits to be brought into Eretz Yisrael, amazingly. And once he did that, so then, okay, you weren't going to run out of food anyway, so then it, it wasn't going to be an issue. But until then, it really was an issue. As the Gemara says, Until that point, then Shvius and all the other years, they were all equally, right, uh, susceptible to this issue of the Chadash. Right. Now, Tani and Ma'abrin. So the Gemara explained why today, right, we can add, This is what you said, That's what it means that originally all of this made sense when the years were more in sync with the biology, right, of the, of the, of the uh, months and the seasons. Right, but now when the years are not uh, set up in their natural state, so then the year following, right, Shemitah, is the same as the other years of the cycle. In other words, just like you're allowed to, and any other year you could do it on Shavuos also, since the new crop, right, is still inevitable, is still inedible, right, um, at that point. Since the Chadash, even in those years, is still inedible. And to that, the, the Gemara offers support. Tani Shabbat Shalom Gamliel, Ibro B'Motei Shavuos Miyad, in Tishrei. In other words, the Bible teaches you that that's when you do the Ibro, you do it in Tishrei, right? So, that is the explanation of the Bryson. But our topic of the source of Hefker, Bez and Hefker is Amar Rabbi Abon, Ein Min Hada. If your proof is from that halacha of the Ibor of the Shana, Lace Achimamina Klum. You can't derive anything from that. Why? Because that has its own Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Shomar Eschol Shaviv. Shomreu Shaviv Bechidusho. Right? When the Pasuk says you're supposed to guard, right, when the season is, right, that means that you have to, what? That you have to manipulate the years in order to add the Shana. So it is not from the Koach of Hefker Bez and Hefker that you can add the extra year, month. But it's rather from the Koach, straight up from the Pasuk of lining up the seasons with Pesach that you're allowed to do that. Right, so he says, Amar Right, and where do you say this? The Gemara answers. We see that from the Mishnah. Right, the Mishnah is in Peah that says that when you have a pile, and let's say the pile under has like uh, under which leket uh, was not yet gathered. This is a terrible thing to do, by the way. Leket you're supposed to leave over for the poor people, right? So when you're supposed to leave a leket for the poor people to cover up that produce is a jerk move, right? Because you're making it inaccessible to the poor people. This is what somebody who doesn't want poor people to take his stuff does, okay? So, therefore, the halacha in such a scenario is called Nogas Baratz Arayin Shalanim. The stuff that's on the ground automatically is considered to the poor. Amar Rabbi Ami, B'Shem Rav Shimon Ben Lakish, the Beis Shamayi. That reflects the opinion of Beis Shamayi. The Ike Beis Hillel, because if it was according to Beis Hillel, Anin Ochlin Maestrin. The poor would be able to eat all the all of it. They would be able to eat and take Meister and all the leket. In other words, <coughs> they would make the whole pile leket. But we learned that that particular leket, uh, even based Hillel agrees that it's put from Meister, because the court makes a penalty. They penalizes the owner because he pulled this move and he piled this produce on top of the actual leket. So we said, you know what? This is Hefker based in Hefker. That is where we learn the source of Hefker based in Hefker, the court. This, the, the court. Right, the Bezdin, when they see a person behaving in such a manner, they have the authority to take away the ownership of that person's produce and to give it to whoever they wish, in this case, to the Aniim. And so we do a Robin Hood over here and we take it from that person and we give it to the Ani because of his behavior in order to modify it accordingly. So for a little behind, we're up to Halacha Gimel. We'll Hashem tomorrow, we'll do Halacha Gimel and Dalid and beyond as we continue in Masachas Shkalim. And it's, it's, it's